Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast with John McMahon and John Kaplan. This podcast is brought to you by Force Management. Force's solutions help companies, small teams, and individuals accelerate sales performance. Be sure to check out their new subscription platform, Ascender. In this episode, Mark Roberge talks about scaling and putting a discipline around your hiring process. He also talks about the must-have in every sales interview process. Mark was the first sales leader at HubSpot and is now the co-founder at Stage 2 Capital and a Harvard Business School lecturer. Take a listen. Have a great week. Mark, I think that you just do such a great job articulating, especially for for hiring at scale. I've heard you talk about engineering. I don't know if these are the exact words, but engineering the sales profile. Could you Mm. kind of talk to us about how you came to that? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, you had some characteristics. You wound up on coachability. Could you kind of walk us through how you Mm. how you kind of came to that? Yeah, I think it was my eighth hire. In that first year, there was uh, a salesperson I'd been courting for a little bit, um, and they were the number one salesperson from a company that probably had 800 salespeople, probably 5,000 employees, and they were public, right? So you can picture this this company, and I thought it was pretty impressive, like number one for multiple years out of an 800 person team. That's like pretty good. That's really good, right? And they were actually kind of bored and wanted to find the next big thing, and and they decided to come over. And I was just, I was like, uh, got a little nervous to be honest with you of like, you know, managing this person and, and, but also excited to see what that type of like, um, performance looked like. And I was shocked that six months later, they weren't number one on our small eight person team. And I really, that's when I realized that there is no universal top sales hire profile, but it's very contextual to your go-to-market context. Because they were, they were coming from a company that was 15 years old, a value prop that was extremely well understood. Within 30 seconds, you knew that what they were selling just by mentioning the company, because the company was running like Super Bowl ads, and like so you can imagine like like the type of person that succeeds there, <laughs> compared to like what we had, which was like you know 20 people in a garage across from MIT, hawking like HubSpot, which no one knew what it was, hawking inbound marketing software, which no one knew what inbound marketing was. I mean, it's just a completely different sell. And so I kind of break down context for my students is what are you selling to who? And what are the contexts of your company, like stage and culture and that kind of stuff? And are you in Japan or are you in North America? Because that matters, right? So it's those three pillars that define context. And and that defines everything from your hiring profile to your sales playbook to your demand gen choices to you know a lot of that stuff is contextual and so hiring is one of those and when i realized that i can't just copy what john had done at ptc for his top sales hires and i had to like almost engineer like you said cap my hiring scorecard my you know my formula and so what I did was I sat back and I like, the first thing I did, and I, I do this with all our companies, it's a very useful, they really appreciate the exercise is, okay, like, let's look at these, even if we have, let's just say five salespeople. Okay. So, so Susan's your number one salesperson. Why is she number one? What makes her great? And then Bob got fired. Why did Bob get fired? Right. What did he struggle with? And as we go through this exercise, what comes out of that are the attributes that are correlated with success, just in a qualitative nature. Okay. 
And so now that can be translated into a basic scorecard where we list these five to 10 attributes, coachability, intelligence, curiosity. I know John likes curiosity, right. um, you know, like work ethic, right? And then we don't just want to limit to those two words. Like let's define, like if we're talking about work ethic, what do we mean by that? When we talk about curiosity, can you define that for me? So let's define that. And now let's take the time to define what, when we meet candidates, what is high, a high score going to look like for curiosity? What is a medium score going to look like? And what is a low score? So we have this rubric, right? And now like, I, you know, what does that take me? Like three hours to build? You know what I mean? And now I'm, I'm using that and I'm filling that out for all my future hires. Now, all of a sudden I wake up one day with 20 salespeople and now I can like get one of my buddies, my PhD buddies at MIT to, to run a statistical regression analysis of these scores they've been putting down with performance to see which attributes are scoring. Now that's when you get into like the major leagues, right? But just like, just having the one baby step that is few people do. And I think is one of the most important things if we say, if we argue that hiring is most important is to have the discipline every quarter to sit down and look back on your people that you hired six months ago so that you now know, are they doing well or not? And, and reflect on why and what those attributes are and iterate on your scorecard and have the discipline to use your scorecard in your hiring process. Few people do that. There's, tr there's tremendous rigorous research at the academic and practitioner level that shows that that's such an ingredient of success. What I love about what you're saying also though, Mark, is that you committed it not just to the attribute, but the definition of the attribute means what does it look like in practice in our environment? And then you measured it. And I heard you speak about coachability. Mm -hmm. And and so I find a lot of companies who say, okay, let's interview for coachability. But you turned it into like a role play in the yes. interview. Could you kind yes. of yeah. walk us through the importance of not only naming the attribute, describing the attribute, all the way down to how do you get it into the interview process? And I think the coachability one was a great example because when I ask people, okay, what does coachability mean? They give me a definition. I say, okay, how do you verify it in the interview mm -hmm. process? Yeah. And not many, very many people have the ability to do it in the interview. I've, yeah, it's a good point, Cap. And I've, I've rarely seen a sales environment where coachability isn't going to be in your top 10. Um, maybe, maybe if you're like, maybe if you're selling some, old school thing into like government and you just need to hire someone who's been in that for 20 years and just let them go do their job. Maybe, maybe that's something, but like, I guess in a lot of the world I live in and like B2B, like high growth software, like coachability is so important. It was one that believe it or not for the first two years, wasn't even in my rubric. Um, it, it took that reflection process where I'm like, wow, these three people got fired this year and they checked all the boxes we're looking for. And it was the only commonality to them was like, hey, listen, Roberge, you know, I've been selling for 10 years. Thanks a lot for the onboarding program and the training, but I'm good. I'll be over in my office selling. <laughs> and it's just like, that was like the key ingredient to like, oh, so there's this coachability factor. And, and so then the question to, you, to your point, Cap, like once you have this scorecard, you then have to like architect your interview process. Like yeah. what, what are the stages and what are the questions we're going to do? And so now we got coachability. And so, yes, I do a role play on that where um, that's, I think I've rarely seen a sales interview context where you're not, you shouldn't be doing a role play. Role plays, I think are, are critical, multiple role plays at the phone screen time, at the in-person time, like, do, you know, do a take home one, whatever. And so um, I'll just say, okay, you know, we're going to do a role play. I'm going to be um, a marketing person for a small business and you're going to be 
a salesperson at HubSpot and I just downloaded the ebook for inbound marketing and, and you're calling me. Um, so take your time, you know, like this isn't like a flat, you know, think on your feet type thing, take, take whatever time you need and then let's go. And so I'll do it. And obviously I see if they come in with a show up and throw up model where they spend five minutes blabbering the stuff I could have read on the website, as opposed to being good discovery, open to questions and curiosity, like, like John likes to see. And then, um, I'll often like throw some curveball technical questions to see if they read up at all on SEO and how it works and where they're at there and get them, get them a little nervous to see how they deal when they're uncomfortable. Um, and then, you know, we'll end the role play at five minutes. Then I'll say, okay, how did you do? Cause I want to see how they self-assess. I've seen their self-assessment approach correlate with their core coachability. And if they're like, you know, I, you know, if they're nicely, if they're like, I did awesome, I'm not psyched about that. Like, no, none of us, not all three of us would do a role play on John, you do a role play on PTC and you wouldn't feel as a plus. We can always improve it. You know what I mean? Like, um, so, so like, I don't like it when they're just like not reflective on it versus if they're like, yeah, I did. I like how I did this and I could have improved here. And I can say, tell me more about that. That's a good start. Then what I say to them is, okay, in every interview, I give one positive feedback and one needs for improvement. I, I want to do that because, of course, I want to jump into the criticism. But if I jump into the criticism, I feel like they might think they're bombing the interview and they might have a panic attack and then I won't be able to see the real them. So I want to explain to them that in every interview, I give one positive feedback and one need for improvement. So don't worry. You're doing great. I want to see the real them. So I give a positive and then do a need for improvement. Usually it's around the depth of their um, need, you know, discover pain discovery. And I do a little coaching and then I can see, are they glassy eyed? Or are they actually paying attention and taking notes? And then I can have them redo the role play. And like, you know, a lot of them bomb it then, or we could have them like come back. If they're going to come back for the next round, they can redo it then. Right. So there's this learning process through there. Um, but it's really the, 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 um, the attempt at it that, you know, that, that matters. And I did have one person, I remember Danny Hertzberg was like the best at it when she was interviewing for us. She had no sales experience. She had been coming out of like a private equity shop or something down in Pennsylvania because she went to Penn and she was interviewing for a chief of staff or executive assistant role at Google and uh, either a customer success or account executive role at HubSpot. And I think Joan and I were fighting over her because we saw so much potential and she crushed that. And sure enough, she came in, no sales experience, top rep, then top manager. Um, she was a star for us. She went off to, Slack, off to Slack and was like the number two or three performer at Slack, went to Stanford for MBA, and now she's a partner at Sequoia. I mean, it's like, and it was like, it all came down to that like one role play where she, she was so coachable. It's like, gosh, if you, can, if you can move the needle in five minutes with this person, what is it going to be like when we spend a month coaching them? You know, so I think I think that's a very important aspect of it. The other aspect that. that I wanted to be explicit about that you pointed out was that your scorecard or recruiting scorecard needs to evolve as your company evolves because your product changes, competition changes, customers change, market changes. And if you're not so your sales process changes. So you have to constantly evolve that scorecard. It can't stay static. Totally, John. It's yeah. a great call out. I mean, it's it's I mean, imagine that that fifth hire at HubSpot, again, who's HubSpot? What's inbound marketing? We have 20 people in our company and barely any furniture, like culturally, right? Like they're evangelizing and they need to be scrappy and tolerant of a small business. 
take HubSpot today. I don't know what, 7,000 employees, yeah. right? Like public, like you don't have to be like, call anyone up and be like, Hey, I'm calling from HubSpot. And they're like, what's HubSpot? Like they know, they know what's coming, you know, but very different person. The fifth hire would have, you know, not liked HubSpot today. And the person that goes to HubSpot today may probably wouldn't have succeeded in HubSpot in 2007. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So it def- all those things absolutely change. I call it scrounging. When you're in that <laughs> environment, that startup environment, you have to learn to scrounge for yourself, for the resources that you need. I love when you that. come out of the bigger companies, you typically don't have to scrounge. You have name recognition. You know who you're selling to in the companies. There's probably already a budget for your product. And, you know, you're just trying to increase the, pro- the, the budget versus going in and trying to display something or sell something that someone's never bought before. It's a big difference. Check out the show notes to listen to the full interview with Mark Roberts, John McMahon, and John Kaplan. Make it a great week. Thanks for listening to Revenue Builders.